0: Copy of God's word, once you find the book of Galatians, we are continuing our study verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And one of our hopes is that if you'll join us throughout a year, that you will be able to look back at the end of the year and say, Man, I've got a personal commentary on a couple of books of the Bible. And then also you'll have some biblical wisdom on some things that are very relevant to your life stage. And so after we get done with studying through the book of Galatians, we're gonna hop into a a series. This is gonna be about a four to five week series that we hope will really help you be able to navigate some of the conversations and maybe some of the things that you're going through in the season of life that you're in. But tonight I'm excited about where we're headed because we've been working through this book called Galatians and we've been really studying a lot of things and they're all kind of coming to an apex, not the game, an apex tonight, all right? And we're gonna be learning about some really profound things that God says about you and I and how that impacts our life. I don't know if any of you had a a killer weekend, but I did, man. It was amazing. And so it was like the weather's turning. The flowers are blooming. It's warm outside. Praise God, right? And so like it's just everything's good. It was a great weekend. We celebrated my middle daughter's ninth birthday on Saturday. It was like all big birthdays. Mother's Day was on Sunday. I've got a wife, she's a mother of three of our beautiful kids and, and just got to celebrate her. And one of the greatest things that happened this weekend wasn't really in my household, it was in one of my best friend's households. One of my best friends that, I, that I, I got to spend a lot of time with in college and we've stayed friends over the years. He was the best man in my wedding. I just simply call him Huck. His last name's Huckabee, so if I say Huck, that's not his first name, but that's what I call him, so you can roll with it. Well, Huck and his wife, they had an opportunity to adopt a little girl this weekend. And now this story just oozes of goodness, y'all. And so what I love about this story is that there's so many different components, and I'm just gonna tell you a little bit about it as we get into God's word tonight, because I think it's gonna really help set a picture and a foundation for where we're headed. So a few months ago, my buddy gets a call from a lawyer that helped him with his first adoption. And the lawyer said something like this. Uh, He said, Mr. Huckabee, I've recently been made aware of an opportunity that a lady has a crisis pregnancy, and she is planning on terminating the pregnancy and aborting the child. And so she's called me, and, and for some reason I've been looped in, and I asked her, would you consider waiting a week, and I want to challenge you to not go through with going to Planned Parenthood. So he calls my buddy Huckabee, or Huck, and he just says, hey, would you, would you and your wife, would y'all consider over the next few days if you would be willing to adopt this baby? And my buddy Huck, man, I just love him. He just says this. Yeah, let me pray about it. Yeah, we're in. He doesn't even ask his wife, all right? Like he just says, yes, we're going to adopt this child. Whatever we got to do to save a life, amen? And so he does this, and and they start down this process, and they contact the birth mom, and they begin to meet her, and they begin to explain to her why they can't have kids and how this would be such a blessing to them. They've already adopted one little girl that's three, and so they just start, like, beginning this relationship. They ask her, what are some ways that we can serve you? Would you be willing to do this? And the lady says, I'll be willing to take the baby to term and give the baby to you. And so we've been walking through this over the last couple of months. And my buddy calls me. He's like, bro, we're expecting, you know, we're going to have this baby. And, And like we just get to get excited with them. And this weekend was the weekend. And so he's sending me updates and sending me pictures. And they got to experience seeing this beautiful baby girl come into the world. And here's a picture of him holding her. Let's show the other picture real quick. There he is. A little baby, so precious, so sweet, and I know, as, I know her parents, and I can say with confidence, so loved. That she was about to be aborted, but instead she was adopted. And I start there tonight because this is a picture of what God wants for all of us. Like if you've come in here and you don't know much about the Bible or much about God, like there's, there's, there's all of these different pictures and ways that God has laid out in his word to describe our relationship with him. But one of the most prevailing and I would say one of the most important pictures that God has given us in his word about our relationship with him is, is this, that God wants to adopt every one of you. And if you don't know this, we're gonna see what God's word has to say about this tonight. And what the scripture's gonna speak about is is this this predicament that we've all found ourselves in, that that the scripture's gonna say this. There's a little bit of a problem. It's gonna say that, that we were conceived in crisis and that we were born into bondage. And the Bible teaches that we were hopelessly lost in an orphanage called this world, but God, being rich in mercy, he adopted us through Jesus. And listen, if you are in Christ, you're chosen by God. Let that sink in tonight. Some of you, you come in here tonight and you feel forgotten. Some of you, you come in here tonight and you don't really know what direction is right. You feel like in your 20s, you've just been dropped in this ocean and you're just wading water and you don't know which way to go. And when it comes to your relationship with God, you don't really know exactly what that means. But if you would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your only hope for salvation, what that means is that God would solidify and clarify that you have been chosen by him. This truth, man, it's so profound. If we could wrap our minds around the glory of this truth, I think it would deeply impact every one of us in the most glorious of ways the fact that you can be loved by God Almighty, that you can be chosen by God, this is a truth that will take you your entire life to chew on. And this is a truth that will take you an eternity to enjoy. That this is one of the most profound things that we could ever just turn our attention to and really begin to unpack and understand what it means that we've been chosen by God. And when, when God, when, when we allow this thing to take place, when all of this, we, we put our faith in Jesus and he adopts us, man, this begins to redefine us. Like this little girl, her life is being redefined as we speak. Like she, she came into this world in a certain way and she's leaving 48 hours, this hospital, on her way to becoming a Huckabee. And this is going to be her identity. This is, and there's nothing changing that. This will be the family that shapes her and forms her. Like, like she's not going to have to wonder who her dad is. She'll be able to look at my best friend, the, 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 my best guy friend, the man that was like the as my best man at my wedding, and she'll be able to say, that's my dad. She won't have to wonder and, and worry about like, is she going to be loved and cared for by a mama? She's going to be able to look at Katie and be able to say, that's, that's my mama, And those two people are going to begin to shape and inform her. And because of the bravery of her birth mom and the mercy of Huck and his wife, this young girl will be shaped tremendously. That these people have joyfully brought them into her home. And it doesn't even, like the details about how she was conceived, it doesn't matter anymore. What matters is how she's been received that she's a Huckabee, and that's who she is. And the reason why I share all of that is because I want to ask you, who are you? And I want you to think not about your last name, not about your place of origin, but who are you spiritually? And, and that question is such an important question to ask. I, I believe the majority of my issues in my life, the things that I've ran to, the things that I've done, is because I really haven't truly understood stood who I was. Like there's, there's all these things as I look back at my life and even today I look at the things I get myself into, start thinking about and kind of get all worked up about it and I'm like, man, I, I'm forgetting who I am. And I think that the majority of the issues that we brought into this space tonight are a summation of us forgetting who we are to God. And so here's a tendency, like we have this tendency to forget who we are to God, and so we run to all these other things for our identity. Like, like some of you ladies here, you're, you're running to a relationship with a man to make you feel like you're secure and you're something. And, and guys, you're running to a relationship with a girl to make you feel like that you're significant. And you're trying to put all of your eggs, your identity eggs, in that basket, so to speak. And you think that that somehow is making you somebody. Like you've always got to have a guy in your life or you've always got to have a girl in your life. And you don't know what it's like to be single and satisfied and secure in Christ. Or maybe you're running to other things, like maybe you're running to a temporary high to make you feel alive, or or maybe you're thinking that your career is why you're somebody. Maybe you're thinking your car is why you're somebody. Maybe you're thinking that it's your compensation that's why you're somebody. Maybe you think it's the collection of followers that you have, that's what makes you somebody. And I'm here to tell you that the greatest thing that we could walk out of this place here tonight is having clarity and understanding who we are before God and allow allow that to shape and inform inform and influence our identity. So we're gonna run all of these things that lead to chaos and confusion in our life, but that we can understand who we are in Christ. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message, Who Are You? Who Are You? And I want you to see three things from God's Word that will begin to help shape your identity spiritually, that you're a son, that you're secure, and that you are cared for by God Almighty. Paul, he wrote this letter to this church uh, uh, these churches in Galatia. And what he's saying is that I, I, need, to, I need to correct some things that have kind of got twisted in regard to the main message of the Bible, which is called the gospel. If you're just out joining us, we've been talking about this word gospel over and over and over throughout this series, and this is one of the greatest things that we can give our attention to, that the gospel, it is not the, the, the ABCs of Christianity, the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not just the doorway into a faith with God, it is the pathway by which we walk our relationship with God out. The gospel is the main message of the Bible, and if you don't know what the gospel is, it literally means good news, and it's in reference to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension and the soon return of Jesus Christ and how that impacts our life. And, and what happened in the churches in the Galatian region is that they started thinking that, that you needed Jesus and, and your efforts in order to be right with God. Like they started seeing Jesus kind of like a crutch. I don't know if you've ever been on crutches before. But when you have a crutch, you know, you're literally walking and hobbling along. And you've got the crutch because it's helping you walk, but you're also putting forth effort too. And a lot of people they see Christianity like a crutch, and they'll even kind of criticize Christianity, like I don't need a crutch, that's for the weak. But here's what you need to understand that, that, that people that can still walk can use a crutch. But biblically, biblically speaking, we are spiritually dead. We don't need a crutch. What Paul was saying is that we need a stretcher, that Jesus is the our only hope for salvation. If you think that it's Jesus plus something that's gonna give you right standing before God, you've misunderstood the main message of the Bible. And Paul's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia to try to help them understand clearly that it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That our only hope to have right standing before God Almighty is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in Jesus Christ. And he's been working hard to really correct some of these things that have gotten twisted amongst these churches. And it's like he's been building to this moment that we're about to drop into. In Galatians 3, starting in verse 26. And here's what it says. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You could just circle that, man. If, if I could just download a doctrine into your life tonight. That if you would put your faith in Christ Jesus, you become a child, a son of God. This is, this is the crescendo of all of creation. This is the goal of all of redemption, that in Christ you can have a seat at the table. In Christ you can be a part of the family of God. In Christ you can be a son of God. Paul, he goes on, he begins to tease this out. He says this in verse 27, he says, For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This word baptized, it's a transliteration. What that means is that we stole this word from the Greek, In the Greek, it's baptizo, and we just kind of changed it a little bit and made it English. It literally means to plunge or submerge. Uh, It means like you're you're jumping in and doing a cannonball into the, the pool, and you're being baptized into that pool. And he's saying, he's not talking about a thing that you've seen at church before where people get into a baptistry or they get sprinkled as a baby. What he's talking about is that when you step into a relationship with Christ and you become a son of God, that means you've been immersed in Christ. He's covered you completely. There's not a part of you when you cannonball into the pool that's not wet. And he's saying that's how it is with Christ. In verse 28, he says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Goes on in verse 29, it says, and if you are Christ's, Then you are Abraham's seed. That's the Bible's way of saying you're Abraham's children. Again, Abraham, he's like the father of our faith. And he's linking, like it's it's because of Christ that you are a part of this great heritage. And he says this wonderful thing. And he says, and heirs according to the promise. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. You're a son. You're a son. Paul he's ripping through the Rolodex of ways to try to explain who you are in Christ. He says you're a son. You're covered, you're united, you're an heir. But I want to camp out on this. You're a son. Because again, I think the implications of us understanding what that means are quite profound. Now, I've got a wife and three girls, and so I'm just going to anticipate what some of the ladies are thinking. Well, what about what about what about us, you know? Well, that's how I feel when we when we get told that we're the bride of Christ. Okay. Let me explain. Some of y'all's Bibles, they've translated this verse to say, well, you're the children of God or you're the sons and the daughters of God. And they've done this to try to bring equal representation to the genders. But if you were a first century woman and you were being told that you're a son of God, your heart would be leaping, ladies. Why? Because in the first century, women, y'all didn't have rights in the first century. If you were born into a household with brothers You just knew from the get-go that they're going to have a better inheritance because you're not going to have an inheritance at all. It just wasn't fair that there wasn't equal opportunity in this day and age in a really, really profound way. And so when Jesus came, he brought equality to all genders. And so when the Bible says that you're a son of God in Christ, what that's saying to the ladies is that you you don't have to be second-rate. There are no second-rate Christians in the family of God. That there's equal access, equal opportunity, equal inheritance to both genders. And so if any religion, if it creates a caste system, if any religion says that men are are better and women are not, be done with that one, right? Because Jesus came to bring equality. And Paul's saying that you're a son of God and what that means. This was Paul's way of looking at the ladies and saying, in Christ, you have everything that that brother has too. And so this language of you're a son, like don't don't be down on that, all right? And so if you're here and you're a 21st century woman, oftentimes we miss this, but in the culture, if you were a first century woman, this would have made your heart leap with gladness. Because in Christ, all genders can be treated as sons. Paul is saying that Jesus, he elevated all people to the same level. That the church that Jesus came to start, it's a movement for all people. That in Christ, you're a son. And some of the implications of this, he goes on in verse 27 just to say, you've been baptized in Christ, you, you, you put on Christ. Like this is, this is Paul's way of saying that when you become a child of God, like he just smothers you in his love. I told y'all this weekend, we celebrated my middle daughter's ninth birthday. And, like, when we do birthdays at my house, we go big, y'all. This isn't, this isn't like you're going to get a cupcake and then, and then one gift. My wife, she's like salt, man. She makes the sweet sweeter, all right? And so she just, like, when it comes celebrating, we, be, we celebrate big, all right? And so here's what we did. We got up early. We asked our little princess, where do you want to go eat? We go to Black Bear Diner. It was amazing, all right? We had a good time. I was glad we were there with all the other people over the age 75. Anyway, we had the Black Bear Diner pancake thing. And then from there, we went and rode bikes around the falls, pond, and the waterfall. We went shopping at Bass Pro. I love my girl. Anyway, and that's where she wanted to go. I was like, you want to go to Bass Pro, right? You know, and so anyway, we went shopping there, and then we came home, and we had more gifts than Christmas, y'all. It's, there were so many gifts, pogo sticks and Legos and Barbie dolls and stuff, all the stuff, right? And we're unwrapping gifts, and then it's like, what else you want to do? I want to eat fruit and have a picnic. We eat fruit have a picnic. We're playing games in the backyard. At one point in the afternoon, the nine-year-old's just running around the backyard, just like happy, just happy, you know? By the end of the day, her tank was filled with love. Because she's my child, we smothered her with love. She didn't have a choice. If she didn't want to do anything, I would say, no, you're going to do something. This is celebrating your life and your mama's labor. We're going to celebrate today. We are turning up today. And you're going to be baptized in our love. You're going to, you you can't stop what the word of God says is how great the love that the father has lavished upon us that we would be called his sons. And that is who we are. And Paul's trying to get these people and I'm trying to get you people through the word of God, all of us to understand that if you're in Christ, it's incredible that you're covered. Not only are you covered, man, you're, you're united Paul says in verse 28 that there's neither this nor that. There's not this nor that. That in Christ, we're all united. And he just works through some different categories, the things that divide us all the time. He says that, that in Christ, there's no cultural divisions. We respect the individual cultures that God has made, and we appreciate and love the diversity. But we work towards unity, that there's not one culture that's better than another culture in Christ. Amen? Amen. That in Christ, we're not going to let classes separate us. I don't care if you drove a Tesla up here. I don't have any more respect for you, bro. Praise God for that. But if you drove a Tesla up here and some of you drove a hoopty up here, it's all good. We all come together, all right? And it doesn't matter in God's eyes. And in Christ, we're united regardless of what your social economic status is, regardless of what your class is. That the church is a place for the rich and the poor to come together and say, we were all poor in spirit, but praise God, he makes us rich in Christ. That in Christ, what Paul says, it doesn't matter what your chromosomes are. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. We're not gonna draw divisions on, and and in some religions that are just so popular in this world, you you would say like, all the the men are gonna sit right here and all the women, you better sit back there and you better not say a word. I'm so down with that. You know, I'm like, I'm so like just done with that sort of thing. No, in Christ, he's saying you're united. When you're a child of God, when you're a son of God, you're covered and you're united. And also, you're an heir. Golly, man, I just, I, I can't even begin to like try to, I, I'm like standing at the border of my imagination trying to just fathom what this means. And it's like when, when it says that you're an heir, like this is crazy. Like God, it says in Jeremiah that he understood the universe. Like God, you know, I was thinking the other day, universe, and it's his, all right? Like God makes Bezos look broke, y'all. Like he's the one that invented everything that we could ever want to cherish in this world. He invented it. He owns it all. He, he understood the universe. He, 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 he owns the world. The earth is the, Lord and, uh, is the Lord's and, and all that is in it. That there's nothing that we desire that God doesn't own. And he looks at you and he says, when you put your faith in Christ, you become an heir. Sometimes I think we just, we do we downplay the significance of our relationship with God. Like sometimes I think that I'll see people come to spaces like this and like their life's a mess and and they just want to kind of get forgiveness and kind of feel better about their situation. And they think that that's the extent of what God wants to give them. God wants so much more for you than just forgiveness. Though forgiveness is glorious, But when Jesus died and you put your faith in his death and his burial and his resurrection, you you get forgiveness from your sin, but also you get righteousness and you get treated as an heir. You get treated as Christ. That this sonship, it leads to inheritance. That you receive the status based on, note this in the scripture, based on the promise of God. Why is that important? Because many of us, we come to Christ. We get forgiveness and then we resolve to spend the rest of our life trying to to perform before God as a means of trying to earn his favor. When we received every bit of favor, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and he he looks at us as he looks upon his own son and he calls us his child. This is glorious truth that Paul, he's going to great lengths to remind us of our standing before God. And he's reminding us once again, it's not based upon our performance, it's based upon our promise. I've already showed y'all this picture, but let's go ahead and show this picture of the two little girls. That's Julia, big sister, and that's Lydia, the new little baby. Now throughout this process, my buddy Huck and his wife, they were telling me that they got to explain to Julia about how they adopted her and how they're adopting Lydia as well. And they got to begin to explain to her just the bravery of her birth mom and how, you know, there was, there was crisis and chaos and what God had done in their life as mommy and daddy. And, and they began to explain to her that you were adopted and this is, this is what we're doing with Lydia. And they said that, that you're a Huckabee now. And because of, the, because of all the, the price that we paid, you did nothing, Julia, and nothing will ever change that. But I want you to imagine if this somehow kind of got to her three-year-old head, you know, three-year-olds would be thinking crazy stuff, right? Somehow it got to her three-year-old head and she started thinking like, oh my goodness, if I don't start like being a better girl, then I may get unadopted and they'll pick Liddy over me and kick me out. Like, what if she started, like, getting real insecure and just really afraid, and so she started, like, act trying to act more Huckabee-ish, you know? And my buddy Huck, he lives out in the country, and he plays with worms and stuff. It's kind of weird, you know? Like, imagine she, like, goes out, and she, like, brings worms into the house. And she's like, is this good, Daddy, you know? And, like, and imagine she's doing all these things, trying to perform, trying to keep, and then like, there's this, like, my buddy's building this big house out in the country. I call it the Taj Mahuk. And, like, imagine she's, like, thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to be able to live in the Taj Mahuk, and I'm not going to be able to, like, inherit the Taj Mahuk and I don't know where I'm going to live, and i got to perform. Oh my goodness, there's a new baby on the, you know, it's like, baby, baby. You are an heir to all that they have, not because of anything that you could do. It's because of who you are. They've cast their love upon you, not because of anything you could do. They've cast their love upon you because they love you. And because of that profound truth, you get the Taj Mahal and everything else that you want. And what Paul is trying to remind us tonight is that when you become a child of God, when you become a son of God, man, you get covered. You get smothered in his love. You're united. You know less than anyone else. And you get an inheritance. Not based upon your performance, not based upon how much scripture you memorized, not based upon your church attendance, but based upon the promise that God has made you. And it's from that place of security that it drives us to want to be in relationship with our Father, You're a son of God. Paul, he begins to kind of like double click on this idea of sonship and begins to explain it a little bit more into chapter four. And here's what it says in chapter four. Verse one, it says, "Now I say that there, that the heir—excuse me—as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. Now, now here's what Paul's trying to do. Paul's trying to help his audience to make sense of some things that he's already talked about in this letter. Namely, wh- what do we do with the laws that we find in the Bible?" Because people were thinking, well, I've got to do all of these laws in order to be right with God." And Paul's trying to help them understand, what do we do with the law of God? Why did God give all of those laws? And what Paul's saying here is that the laws, they were kind of like a caseworker watching over us until our adopter came. And then in verse four, he just makes it really clear. He says this, "But when the fullness of time had come, note this, this is glorious. God sent forth his Son." That he's saying that that the adopter has come. We don't have to be under the tutelage. We don't have to be under the caseworker anymore. There's one that has called your name. There's one that has paid the fees. There's one that that has signed the documents so that you could be adopted by God. That 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 is available to everybody here tonight. That he says that, that when the time came, and, it, and it's here, God sent forth his son. And then he gives us some clarity about who Jesus is. If you don't know anything about Jesus, here's a few big things that you've got to get. Here it says this, that God sent forth his son. Note, he's God's son. He was born of a woman. We believe that he was born of a virgin. Mary is his mama's name. He was born under the law. That's the Bible's way of saying that he, he, he was perfect. He did everything according to what God said that we have to do in order to be right with him. He was without sin. And here's why to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And this, I believe, is the most remarkable metaphor of what Jesus has given us in this environment or in this picture of adoption. Point number two if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. You are secure. You're secure. Paul, he's reminding his audience of who Jesus is and what he did to adopt us. Have you been adopted by God? Maybe that question would be a little bit strange for you to, to think about. Maybe some of you, have come in here tonight and you're like, I don't know. I, like it, I, is there like a, was there a notary there? Like, I mean, do I, was there a paper I need to sign? Like, I, I'm not real sure. I don't know if I've been adopted by God. If you were to ask Lydia, the little baby that my buddy was holding, Have you been adopted by God? She's in process right now. She wouldn't be able to tell you anything other than I'm being held by my daddy right now. And I don't know all the ins and outs, but I can't deny that this man is holding me and this lady is taking care of me. And some of you, you come in here tonight and, and you don't know whether or not God is holding you spiritually. You don't know whether or not you're being taken care of by God because there hadn't been a time in your life where you can look back and say, yes, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Like the way that you know that you've been adopted by God is that if there's been a time in your life where you've believed with your heart that Jesus lived the life that he claimed to live, that he died On a sinner's cross, that he rose from the grave, and that he is the one that you look to for your only hope for salvation. Do you believe that? The way that you know that you've been adopted by God is that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And if you don't have absolute certainty that you've done that, I would question whether or not you have been adopted by God. I would question whether or not you have God holding you as your father. Maybe you're thinking, like, well, how, well, okay, well, how do I get adopted by God? Like, what do I need to do? Like, if that's something, like, I want a relationship with God. You're here tonight, and, and you just being here says that, like, I, I want to explore faith. I want to be right with God. In some, I don't know what to do. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. I don't know where you've come from to get here tonight, but I know that you're not here by accident, that the God of the cosmos is sovereignly working in your life to bring you to this moment so that maybe you could hear just how you could be in a right relationship and become his child. The way you become adopted by God is, first of all, you've got to admit that you're an orphan. You've got to admit that you have need. And don't, like, start imagining that you're some, like, despicable me, cute little girl orphan, all right? You know, I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but, like, the, like, fluffy unicorn girl, you know, you're like, oh, I would want that child. Like, how did that one not get picked up, you know? That's not us, all right? Like, the more you read the Bible, the more you realize just how much of a wreck you are. And the more you look in the mirror and you get honest with yourself, the more you realize you are really dysfunctional, right? And I know I am that way. And so when I say orphan, don't think like, oh, I'm just adoptable. You're not adoptable. There's parts of your life that are dark. There's parts of your life that that don't line up with what God says is what we should be. That we've all come in here and spiritually speaking, we were born into an orphanage, where we learned the ways of this world and we did things in that orphanage that were in complete opposition to what God wanted us to do. We're all guilty. And most of us, we've come in here born into this orphanage and things were done against us in this orphanage that God, that it breaks his heart. And in order for us to be adopted by God, we have to first admit that we are an orphan, that we need to be adopted, that we need help And the good news is this, that Paul says that the fullness of time has come, that God sent forth his son, that Paul is telling us that the adoption offer has been extended in Christ, that God sent his son Jesus, born of a virgin, born under the law. That's his way of saying he did everything perfect to redeem. That's the Bible's way of saying to purchase us so that we could become sons to him. Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? as your only hope for salvation. And if you have, man, I got good news for you. If you've been adopted by God, listen, every stain, every blemish spiritually has been cleansed. Every time you had sex outside of marriage, every time you cheated the IRS, every time you said something slanderous against someone because you thought you were better than them, every time you fed that craving that led you to become an addict, every time you tried to waive your religion as a reason why God should love you and why you're better than other people, every time you fell back to your performance as a means of acceptance, every failed effort to try to earn God's love, listen, he covered it all. That in Christ, because of his grace, your sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. That if you have been adopted by God, you are so loved, you can't even fathom. And God's spirit has moved in. And God the Father looks at you and has the same delight that he has when he looks at his son. Have you been adopted by God? That Jesus gave his life so that you could have this opportunity. That there was a price that was paid for you to be adopted. I was talking to my buddy Huck about the adoption process. And I don't know if you know this or not, but but adoption's not cheap. And it uh, still doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, it's not cheap. And so the lawyer that called my buddy Huck and asked him if he'd be willing to pray about adopting this little girl Lydia... You know, my buddy said, yeah, you know, let me pray about it, yes. And, and so you know, he gave him the birth mom's number and asked Huck to call the birth mom and start that relationship. And, and so my buddy Huck called the birth mom and then, then the lawyer called him back and said, hey, hey, Huck, have you called the birth mom yet? He said, yeah, I've called the birth mom. And, and the lawyer said, well, hey, hey, I can't adopt this little girl, but here's what I can do. He said, I'll cover every legal fee that's involved. And so this lawyer, he, he, he has a part to play in the story. This is a man of God that is standing and fighting in the fray for the tenderness and the delicacy of life. And not only is he trying to connect these opportunities with people that, seek, or that are seeking to adopt, he says, man, I'll pay for this one. That a price was paid so that this little baby could be adopted. That someone else had to pay for her adoption. And if you would ask this little baby right now, hey, give me your thumbprint because you owe us. Listen, that's not how this thing works. Lydia, the little baby, she did nothing to be adopted. She simply is a recipient of the abundant grace. The reason why I'm sharing that with you is because that is us spiritually, y'all. We are the orphan with nothing to pay for our adoption. But God, being rich in His grace, He said, I'll foot the bill, I'll pay for it all. And the only thing that we do is sit back and be the recipient of this grace and this goodness and this gift that God wants to give to us. And this is what secures us, y'all. If you had to earn God's love, then you could lose God's love. But when we receive God's love, nothing can change that except for God, and God won't go back on his word. Adoption is so beautiful. You know that you can divorce your parents? You know that? You can divorce your parents unless they adopted you. The adoption law states that it is irrevocable. And so when God uses this picture that you've been adopted, what he's saying is nothing's changing this. I don't care what you get into. I don't care how far you go. I don't care what happens in your life. If you put, my, if you put your faith in me, I got you until the end because you're mine. And that secures us, and that drives us to want to be in right relationship with God as our Father. So, paradigm, have you been adopted? I want you to really think about that. Have you been adopted spiritually? If you haven't been adopted spiritually, just think of it like the ABCs if you want to be adopted spiritually, if you want to have a right relationship with God, A, you have to admit that you are an orphan. You have to admit that you're a sinner. B, you have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for you, that he rose from the grave. And C, you have to confess that he is Lord. And the scripture testifies that if we would do those things, Today you will be saved. Have you been adopted? And if you haven't, tonight would be a great night to change that. Paul, he goes on in these last few verses and he finishes this thought. In verse 6 he says this, And because your sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, it's interesting that he would say, Abba, Father. What does that mean? Abba is a Jewish way of saying Daddy father is a Greek or a Gentile way of saying daddy. And what Paul's doing is he, he's continuing to remind these people, it doesn't matter where you were born, you're no better or worse. If you think that your country of origin or your, 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 uh, your racial distinction makes you better, you're wrong. He's saying that in Christ, we all cry out, Abba, Father. And he says this conclusive statement in verse seven, therefore, You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, he reminds us, then an heir of God through Christ. Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes now, you can write this down. You're cared for. You're cared for. Paul, he's turning a corner here to describe what a relationship with Jesus brings into your life. Like for the first half of the letter, he's been talking about Jesus has done this. Jesus has done this. This is what we put our, our, hang our hat on spiritually. This is what Jesus has done. And, And the work that Jesus has done for us, it's very objective. Jesus did all of these things. We put our faith in the things that Jesus has done and that settles your sonship, whether you feel like it or not. Like the papers have been signed, the fees have been paid, and this is your legal status. And this is good news paradigm, that our faith is not, It's not determined by our sincerity. Our our faith is not predicated upon our our determination. Our faith, what makes us right before God, is based upon God's stability. And so Jesus has done all the work. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, this is legal status. You are a son of God. There's nothing changing that. This is good news because sometimes you're not vibing with God. Sometimes you're, you're, you don't feel like a Christian, and there can be this thought, well, if I don't feel like a Christian, I must not be like a Christian. And sometimes God is trying to help you in those seasons just to return back to that time that you put your faith in him and to remind you that, that your faith is not in your sincerity. It's not in your diligence. Your faith is in God's stability. That's the rock of our salvation. But he says this, he says that that when you receive Christ, you get his spirit, that the spirit that was in Jesus, it now the Holy Spirit begins to move into your life and allows you to cry out, Abba, Father. This word cry out, it literally means uh, rendering a loud cry. It's like when we get the spirit of God, we have this access to God. Like that baby that we just saw earlier, like that baby's in my my buddies, it's in in the Taj Mahal right now, all right? And that baby, like when that baby cries out, My buddy, Huck, and his wife, kate they're going to run to that baby's side, and the baby's just going to cry out, and it's like this childlike language that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we have to receive the Spirit, and we can cry out to God, and God hears our cry, that we don't have to go through the season of singleness that is hard at times, alone. We don't have to go through an anxious season, alone. We don't have to go through betrayal, alone. We don't have to go through that struggle and that whatever the thing is that you brought in, you don't have to go through that alone. If you're in Christ, you just simply cry out like a child. The Spirit of God allows us to have access to God and he rushes to our side to begin to care for us. But some of you, you don't feel that tonight. You you don't feel close to God. See, the, the Holy Spirit and his presence in our life That's the subjective part of our relationship with God. Sometimes we don't feel like a Christian. Because to put it frankly, we're just not acting like one. Some of you are like, man, I just don't I just don't feel like God loves me. I'm like, when's the last time you cried out to him? You you can't ghost God and expect to feel close to God. You can't leave God on red and think that it's all good. That if you could only understand the access that you have to God Almighty, that I think sometimes we look at Jesus' relationship when we, when we read the Bible, we look at how Jesus was tight with God, and we're like, man, wow, that'd be amazing. And what the Scripture is saying is that if you put your faith in Christ, that the same access that Jesus had to God the Father, you have available to you. I think there's so much power that we could experience in our relationship with Christ if we would just cry out. I was talking with a guy earlier today. He's like, man, I got so many issues. I got way, I got so many issues. How did you get over all of your issues? I said, hey, man, here's the secret. I didn't. I said, man, I have to wake up daily, get on my face, and cry out to God like a baby. And say, God, I need you today. Because if I don't have you today, I'm going to be a mess just like I was the other day. And I told him, I said, man, Christianity, it's easy to understand, but it's hard to do because you got to act like a child. But when you can understand that Christianity is easy to understand, but it's hard to do because you got to act like a child. When you begin to act like a child, you get to experience the privilege of a relationship with God. And I think so many of us, we want God to give us forgiveness and then we don't want God for anything else. And we're missing out on the greatest privilege of all of eternity to get to know and do life with and to walk through whatever you're walking through with God Almighty available to you. So cry out to him. Quit denying him. Talk with him. And Paul, he's reminding us tonight, of who we are in Christ. He says, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And Paul, (laughs) I love Paul, if you're new to the Bible, Paul, he wrote over three quarters of the New Testament. And Paul, he he just has this undying commitment to witness the spiritual adoption of many. Like if Paul was here tonight, I think he would ask two questions to everybody. He would ask this question, Have you been adopted? And the second question he would ask is, would you be a witness for others to be adopted spiritually? I was talking with my buddy, Huck, and uh, he was like, man, Monday was crazy. You know, they gotta wait 48 hours before mom can sign the papers to release the the rights to this baby. And and so he said, I called my notary up and the notary came up to the hospital and and you gotta have two witnesses in order for it to be notarized. And so he's like, it's all good. You know, a lot of people at the hospital. He just grabbed a couple of nurses and said, "Hey, could y'all come be witnesses, so that I can take this baby home and begin this adoption process?" They said, "Well, well, legally we can't because we work at the hospital." He called his lawyer. He's like, "Oh man, I didn't know that." Well, uh, uh, can I? Can I? He's asked the lawyer, "Can I use family members to be witnesses on this this notarization so that I can I can begin the adoption process this baby?" The lawyer says, "No, I can't. Can't be any family members." And my buddy Huck, like, he's bold. he's kind of yoked, and so he just kind of, he's like just walking around like, all right, I'm going to find a solution. I'm taking this baby home, all right? He goes to the waiting room of the hospital. He starts asking strangers, hey, here's the deal. He's explaining we're trying to adopt this baby. We have a notary up on the fourth floor, whatever floor they're at. Could you come be a witness? One lady says, well, I can't get up there. He says, I'll carry you. They thought he was joking. He was serious. He asked another person, can you be a witness? And they said, well, my my husband's in surgery. I can't get up there. He asked everybody in the waiting room, could you be a witness so that I can start the adoption process? No one said they would go. He goes to the parking lot. He starts asking random strangers that are arriving to the hospital. He says, hey, we're trying to adopt this baby. We have a notary up there. We need some witnesses. Could you come to my room and be a witness so that we can start this adoption process? And everyone turned him down. Frustrated, he goes back to the room and the notary's daughter worked at the hospital, found a couple of people that are in medical cells that aren't technically employed by the hospital and they witnessed the notarization so that he could take this baby home. And the reason why I shared that with you tonight is that I think God is saying to us what my buddy Huck said to those people. Can I get a witness? That I'm I'm at work. The fees have been paid. The opportunity is here. I just need a witness to come participate in the adoption spiritually. That God is wanting us to be a witness. What that means is he's wanting us to share about how we found Christ with people. That he's doing all of the heavy lifting. He just wants us to be made available to witness the signature of salvation that he puts on the hearts of people. But some of us, man, we're too busy. Others of us, we're too afraid. And many of us, because we're not willing and available to be God's witnesses, we're missing out on the joy of seeing people be adopted spiritually. Some of you are here tonight, and you've come with somebody that you know that you need to witness to that you need to share how you found Christ. Don't preach at them. Just simply share that you are an orphan spiritually and this is how God adopted you. And allow the Spirit of God to begin to use your witness as he signs salvation on the hearts of men and women. Have you been adopted by God? And will you be a witness to the spiritual adoption of other people? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you just for this incredible story. God, I thank you for what you've done in my buddy Huck's life. I thank you for the pain and in the, in the ditch that you have brought him through, how you never abandoned him, and how you've allowed him to be a daddy. I thank you for what you've done in Katie's life, how you've just caused her to love this man and to build this marriage and and to follow his leadership and them to build the Taj Mahak and to fill it full with the outcast and the orphan. I got to thank you how that just is such a clear picture of what you've done and what you are doing for us all. I got to thank you that you, that you adopted me. Got to thank you for the security that I have because you're my daddy Spiritually. And God, I pray if somebody's here and they don't have that same solidarity, God, that, they don't have that if they don't have that same security, if they don't know the love that you have lavished upon us, God, I pray that they would receive that tonight. And for those of us that have been adopted by you, that you're inviting into this grand mission to be a witness, God, I pray that we would quit forsaking opportunities to watch you sign salvation on the hearts of men and women because of our timidity, because of our insecurity, because of our busy. But God, I pray that we would be made available and we would rush to the opportunity to be a witness for you. I pray that you would move in these moments and you would help us to begin to, begin to contemplate what you're calling us to do as a result of your glorious truth